Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get to our guest, John Vale, Chief Global Strategist at Nico Asset Management. John, one of the biggest movers today was a big drop in the 10-year Treasury yield, uh, down 15 basis points or so. Uh, and right now we've stabilized a little bit in early trading in Tokyo. It seems like uh, perhaps equities moved up on a, on a bad news is good news kind of thinking, but the economic data was pretty bad. Will we start to be thinking a lot more about weakness here rather than um, conditions conducive to a recovery in stocks? Well, yes, the stock market uh, did sort of shrug off the uh, very bad uh, Philadelphia um, uh, PMI numbers. Uh, Not only the current situation in Philadelphia, but their expected uh, uh, conditions going forward. Uh, But uh, I guess the equity market is looking at the fact that, yes, things might slow down, but corporate earnings, you know, are still hanging in there pretty well. And guidance has been a bit negative for the second half, uh, but overall, um, the uh, second quarter numbers have come through pretty well. And so calendar year number uh, numbers for EPS have not fallen much. And certainly when you have a lower uh, bond yield, then that helps uh, support equity valuations. And to some degree, the equity market sort of distrusts uh, the fact uh, that we're going into a, a, a significant recession. Uh, when that comes to those thoughts as well, though, that has been behind a lot of the, the dollar rally as well. Do you think we've reached peak dollar? I think, uh, well, I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest. I mean, our forecasts, um, our Global Investment Committee uh, met uh, mid-June and forecasted uh, uh, the euro and the yen to be exactly where they are right now. So according to our official forecasts, uh, yes, you're, I would, we would agree with you on that, uh, that uh, most of the dollar strength is over. Let me ask you a question that will tell us a lot about what you're thinking. Uh, I raised this question earlier just for fun. You have a company that you sort of like. You followed it for a long time. It's a cyclical, and it's it's the stock is down about 50% or so. Uh, its dividend yield is about 2.7%. Should you buy that, or should you buy a two-year treasury? Uh, depends on your perspective, if you're long-term yeah. investor. Well, I'm trying to get yours, yeah. Uh, well, yes, and you know a lot of cyclicals are yielding a heck of a lot more than two point seven percent. So, the, yes, if you're willing to ride through a cycle, sort of close your eyes. Not everybody's able to do that, you know, to be honest. And some people can't handle it, and they sell um, when things get even worse. And that's the worst thing to do. 
But if you're really determined to hold on to it uh, through a cycle, uh, then, yes, I'd recommend equities over bonds any day. You mentioned the Fed more hawkish than consensus. What did you read into the ECB move? Because it was that 50 basis point move, but then perhaps the forecasts for what we could see at the next meeting were a bit more dovish than maybe some had expected. Well, yes, uh, the ECB, uh, I don't know, intentionally or unintentionally surprised everybody. Um, Only a few uh, smaller European banks predicted 50. Uh, we predicted 100 for the quarter, and so 50 plus 50 would be uh, in line with our expectations, and we have another 75 in uh, the fourth quarter for the ECB. Um, I guess they were forced into it um, by the fact that the Hawks there, they maybe had some uh, d- additional leverage uh, to force uh, the the leadership, which is, tends to be dovish, uh, into something more serious in order to get the uh, anti-fragmentation uh, deal that they uh, wanted. And the, the, the new tool, um, anti-fragmentation tool, does seem very specific, and I'm surprised the market sort of is panning it, uh, but uh, it seems pretty specific to me. And So we've seen Japan's key inflation gauge rise further above the BOJ's target level of 2%, the BOJ standing pat yesterday, but a lot of questions about when they may be forced to move. What are your thoughts and, of course, uh, whether or not we can see further weakness in the yen too? Well, in terms of the Bank of Japan moving, I'd say uh, not, don't pay too much attention to that uh, for the next uh, three or four months. It's uh, not going to probably happen. Um, uh, they're quite stuck on their current path, and I, I think rightly so, to be honest. Um, they are uh, witnessing inflation that is externally driven as opposed to domestically driven. Wages are not rising here. There's no sort of uh, supply chain hiccups that's slowing the overall economy. The economy's growing quite slowly. Um, so, yes, you look at the core CPI and the uh, ex fresh food and energy. And uh, that's only growing at 1%. And the headline only grew like 0.1% month on month uh, in the data just uh, released. So there's there's no really strong inflationary pressure here. So the Bank of Japan yeah. is uh, quite okay um, with uh, allowing that without hiking rates before a, a global slowdown. Yeah, the title of one of our Bloomberg opinion pieces is, What's the Point of Hiking When Recession Looms? It's a question that you could almost put to U.S. policymakers, although there you do have much higher inflation, but maybe that's going to change. Um, Well, you have a very good point, um, and I agree with it. Um, As for changing uh, the, the inflation outlook, certainly it already has changed to some degree with commodity prices uh, coming down for the last month or so. And that's, you know, good news, absolutely. Um, the problem, the primary problem right now um, in the States and in Europe is whether uh, labor uh, strikes and wage gains are large and there's a inflation uh, sort of cycle developing. The other major problem is, at least in the States, is housing rents. And they will be rising for quite some time, it seems, uh, to catch up with uh, the new rents that have been signed in the last year. Uh, the, the CPI rent uh, figures a lagging indicator in that it measures all rents, and uh, that will be rising and keeping core CPI quite high, above 5%, probably through the end of the year. And 
and, and it won't probably fall a great deal until next year. Now, the Fed might look through that. Who knows? Um, but uh, certainly there's been some good news on inflation already. Rising rents not limited to just the U.S., let me tell you that. Let's talk about China, though, and the property system there and certainly the stress related to that real estate sector. How much of a worry to global growth is that? Well, um, certainly um, China's uh, economy is one of the world's largest and it's very important. Uh, fortunately, its factories are humming right now and exports are zooming. And so the effect via that channel um, is not very uh, worrisome. But domestic demand um, after the initial pop, after the lockdowns ended in uh, June, um, at least for some cities, um, uh, you know, that the pop, who knows how long it's going to last. It, you know, there's a wealth effect going on with the housing uh, crisis that you're talking about. And it's by far and away the largest asset of the average Chinese person. So uh, what's happening to housing prices does matter. And mm. what, and certainly the picture is not very good. So, um, yes, there is reason to be concerned about the global economy due to what's happening in China, especially there are more lockdowns ahead because uh, the cases are, are rising. Just briefly, what do you like the most and what are you worried about? Well, there's plenty to worry about, that's for sure. Um, you, you know, not to mention the China thing and Iran and uh, North Korea and uh, Ukraine, obviously. There's plenty to worry about. Um, but um, I guess some of the things that uh, we're looking at, I mean, we still like uh, Japanese equities. It's quite shocking to say that they're only down, these topics is only down 2% year to date in local currency mm. terms. So investors here are. Uh, quite okay. Um, yeah. We, we like Japan and the earnings. You like Japan. Outlook. We're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately, John. Great to have you with us. John Vale from Nikko Asset Management from Tokyo. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.